Welcome back to another episode of the Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host for today, and today we have Chris with us to talk about his last BT article titled Achieving Contentment is the Greatest Gain. Hi Chris. Hello. Hi. Uh, welcome back to the to the podcast. Yes, it's good and, to be back. Yeah, great to have you back. Yeah, I cannot have Isaac all the time. Yeah. I have to come back. <laughs> yeah, we need to switch around sometimes. So, uh, according to your latest BT article, you mentioned that this is your 25th anniversary mm. uh, last month in March. Congratulations uh, for lasting so long in the industry. You have this BT article column for mm. quite some time now. Yeah. Uh, and I know that every time when you write, uh, sometimes you complain that you don't have sufficient word count. Word space, yeah. Yeah, mm. for, to actually uh, articulate all the thoughts that you have behind uh, these yeah. uh, ideas mm. that you are writing these articles mm. on. And uh, that's why we thought it would be a good mm. way to use the Money Wisdom podcast to actually uh, find out more mm. and deeper about mm. what are your thought processes mm. behind this article uh, mm. content. Mm. So uh, regarding this article that you have written last month, mm. Achieving Contentment is the Greatest Gain, mm. uh, you mentioned about this epiphany that you had uh, just after the global financial crisis right outside Tampines McDonald's mm. restaurant. Okay, so I, I did a quick Google about what is the definition of epiphany. I thought you did a quick Google on where Tampines McDonald is. I had to make sure that it's the one uh, outside the MRT. It or is the, the one that's outside the MRT. Yeah, because there are two outlets, right? There are many outlets in Tampines. Uh, okay, I mean at the <laughs> At the bus interchange. Yeah, yeah at the yeah. bus interchange. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, okay, I did a quick Google about the definition of epiphany uh, because I just want to make sure before mm. I pose certain questions to you. So, epiphanies, uh, according to Google, are relatively rare occurrences and generally follow a process of significant thought about a problem. Mm. Often they are triggered by a new and key piece of information, but importantly, a depth of prior knowledge is required to allow the leap of understanding. Mm. So, do you mind sharing why you think you had that sudden epiphany mm. outside of McDonald's at mm. Tampines Bus Interchange? Was there a trigger event to it? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, before I answer that question, I just want to say I'm very grateful that I have that column and I started writing that column, I think, in uh, since 2004. Uh, I stopped for a while. Uh, and then uh, I think over the last three years or so, I've carried on. Uh, I'm very grateful that uh, the Business Times has allowed me a space to express my thoughts. Uh, the most difficult part about writing every month is to think of a new topic and really trying to reduce whatever I have in my mind you know, into a 1,200 word space. And if I use tables, I have even lesser words uh, in that particular space, that column. So it's good to have this session so that I can you know, uh, share a little bit about my thought process I and mean, what really made me write that particular piece of uh, article. And that piece that you're talking about, it's really a consolidation of uh, all the wisdom that I've gotten, uh, the experiences, uh, the lessons that I've learned and I try and reduce it into this just one article celebrating, so-called celebrating. I mean, the 25th uh, anniversary is really just an excuse, but it's a, it's, a, it's a way for me to sort of like celebrate whatever I have learned. So specific to your question about that epiphany outside of uh, McDonald's at Tampines, I think it was many things. Yeah, that year was 2010 and it was just two years after the global financial crisis. And uh, it was the ninth year of the Provident business. And after nine years of hard work, we have just lost a huge 
amount of our asset under management to the markets. I mean, it's not just us. Everybody got hit uh, in 2008, you know, and we worked so hard in those nine years um, to bring uh, the business to that level. And in just a few months of the GFC in 2008, uh, it brought the market value of our investment down. And I mean, as I thought about it, I mean, what were the trade-offs you know, that I have to make to get to that level of business. Not just me, uh, colleagues, our partners. It's a lot of family time that we sacrifice, right, just to bring that business to level. And then in just a few months, it came down so much. And I saw the same thing happen to the rest of the world. You know, and at that time, it's really miserable. If you read the papers, especially in the West, uh, you hear of uh, people coming back to work. Uh, even after they retired because they lost so much money in those products that they buy. We hear of people committing suicide. Uh, be they, uh, they can be money managers or you know just people because they have lost everything and they just cannot find any more strength and courage to carry on in life. And so they kill themselves. And so I do not know why, but as I was there, I mean, it's nothing to do with McDonald's, it's nothing to do with the interchange. It just happened that I was at that space, I was there, and there was an inner voice that came to me, and it was, uh, you know, money has been used as a, map, a weapon of mass destruction to destroy the West. It is going to come to the East. You have the license, because we are a licensed entity, you have the knowledge, you have the experience, you have the influence. What are you going to do? about it yeah so that came out very very strongly and i think i mean that was a trigger but uh, really after that uh, provident um, the management sat down together and we changed the whole way of how we plan for our clients and it's anchored on this philosophy of sufficiency it's anchored on this philosophy of having enough of first making life decisions before financial decisions. Don't chase money like as if it is a goal. Money is an enabler. First think about what is most important for you, what you value most in life. And yes, then you arrange your money in a way whereby you are able to achieve these things in life in a comfortable manner. Thanks, Chris. It sounds like a very depressing period, actually. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, th that period was very, very tough at don't think it's just for us. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for us, it was a really tough period because we need to um, gather enough strength uh, to continue to run the firm, to continue to manage the portfolios of our clients well, to continue to manage the emotions of our clients because you know, they see their portfolio value uh, go down. Yeah, so that was indeed a very tough period for us. Mm. But it's amazing that um, you know this philosophy of sufficiency actually mm. was birthed during this very depressing period. Mm. Uh, and I think philosophy of sufficiency is much easily applicable on a personal level, right? As compared to a corporate level, something that you want to apply to uh, your company on a corporate level and then to even to your clients in terms of wealth planning. So there's this statement that you wrote uh, that summarized, that I thought summarizes the philosophy of sufficiency pretty well. Uh, it reads, enough is enough. We just need to achieve our primary purpose and accept that there will be trade-offs. We cannot have everything. Would you like to elaborate your thoughts on that and mm. how you've internalized this in your daily decision-making process? Not mm. just you know in your daily life uh, or work, but also uh, on a personal aspect. Yeah, I mean, every one of us know that 
we cannot have everything in life. I think every one of us know that. But why is it that we live our life chasing as if we can have everything in life? You know, so I want to say mm. that again. We all know, we all know for a fact that we cannot have everything in life. It's a fact that we cannot have everything in life. But why do we live our life as if we can and we chase and we chase and we chase? And the result of that is that, well, we might get a lot of things. We will not get everything, but we might get a lot of things, but we might get a lot of things that we don't need. We don't actually want and lose things that are really important for us. And I think many people experience that, right? They chase and they chase and they got those things. It doesn't make them happy. These things don't make them happy. But then they realize that those things that are really important that makes them happy, they don't have it after they have uh, gotten those things that are unnecessary. But sadly, by the time we realize it, sometimes it's too late. We cannot reverse it. So that is why I wrote enough is enough, right? It's, it's not so much, uh, enough is enough is not like um, an emotional exasperation, mm. right? It is more an emotion of commitment to say enough is enough. I'm going to do something about it. It's not okay, enough is enough, 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 you know, I don't know what to do, but it's more like I'm looking for enough is enough already. I'm going to make a change to my life. Enough of aimless chasing. Mm. I'm going to do something about it. So that was the emotion behind those words when I wrote it. But uh, to your question, how have I internalized this on my day-to-day decision-making? So I think for me, it's about carefully considering what are the non-negotiables in my life. Mm. And I go after those things that they are the non-negotiables. And I accept it intentionally that I cannot have many things, mm. right? But those things that are non-negotiable, I must have it. And I, would, I will work very hard to get those things. But those things that I don't really need, well, if they come along, uh, it's a bonus. Mm. If they don't, it's fine. I've gotten those things that are very important mm. uh, for me. So enough is enough. So what are the non-negotiables that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, the non-negotiables uh, for me, of course, uh, it's definitely family, right? Mm. Firstly, uh, family. Uh, I mean, a lot of times we do things, um, we always say we do it for family and uh, it's the same uh, for me, right? So if I have to chase after things, but at the expense of family, uh, then I will not go for those things. Mm. Um, health is one thing, mm. right? So these are things that are uh, definitely non-negotiables. Um, well, on a more material side of things, it will be like a uh, shelter over my head. Mm. Uh, what do I need really? I need just a simple house, right? So if I can have, uh, in Singapore context, a HDB, uh, HDB flat, and if you are a foreigner uh, listening to this, outside of Singapore, it's our public housing. The standard of public housing in Singapore is quite good, mm. right? And if I have a house over my head, uh, that's enough. I don't really need to go and stay in a, a, a private house. I don't really need to stay in a big bungalow. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. So don't get me wrong. It's okay. Uh, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. If you have the means to do it, right? Uh, about 10 years ago, I mean, I, I stayed in a condominium, uh, but I've decided to uh, move to public housing because mm-hmm. I realized I don't really need 
to stay in a private housing, right? And when I downgraded or right size or whatever you call it, I moved to a public housing, I actually free up a lot of spare cash, mm. better cash flow to do those things that are really important for me. For example, going for long holidays with my family to build memories, especially as uh, the children, they grow up. Right? Those are more important things. Can we imagine that, you know, we chase after expensive houses and buy huge cars uh, and then we get ourselves into a lot of debt and then we don't have enough cash flow and then we cannot go for holidays. When we want to go, we want to think about holidays, say, oh, I don't have enough money. I mean, yes, we can say that, yeah, but uh, it doesn't matter where you go, right? You can just go, you know, to Malaysia or just cross over Batam and you can see a family time. Yes, that's true. But there is always a difference because you create memories for your children. I mean, until today, my children will always remember the football match that we watched at uh, Manchester in England. These are memories, right? So the place they do uh, matter. Uh, today, if I feel like we want to go and eat uh, a good meal, I don't have to think about can I afford that restaurant or we better we, we better you know be thrifty. Mm. Uh, if I want to go, I just go. If my son says that hey, I miss this place, Dad, can we go and eat? Let's just go and eat. I don't ever have to worry about these things, right? Because these are more important things for me. The the, the staying in a, a a huge mansion and all that mm. they are not so important for me. So you need to decide what are the important things, the non-negotiables, so that, well, you can focus on these things instead of chasing after those things that truly don't matter. Thanks, Chris. But just to give a bit more of a balanced view, right? Mm. Um, are there any trade-offs? Like, you know, some certain luxurious, more luxurious activities or hobbies that you have or your family has that you probably have to, you know, um, give up in that sense. Uh, when you adopt this philosophy in your life? Yeah, of course there are trade-offs, but the trade-offs are nothing because they're not important, uh, right? So it's like, okay, what are the trade-offs? Okay, so I don't get to stay, for example, in the same example that I use. Mm. Um, the truth is when I first moved to public housing uh, more than 10 years ago, mm. uh, it took about six months to get used to it because I was staying in a condo for about nine years or 10 years before we moved. And of course, it's a beautiful place. It's beside the reservoir. Uh, there is a huge pool downstairs. Uh, anytime I feel like going down to the pool, even not for a swim, but to just sit at the side, you know, and read a book, uh, it's a really nice feeling. The landscaping is nice, you know, it's better managed and all that. Uh, so that's that's the trade-off, right? So if I when I stay in the public housing, uh, I don't have that convenience. The landscaping is not uh, as nice. But then are those the important things? I mean, those it's a trade-off, but they're not mm. important. I, I can live without, uh, live without that. And after six months, I've gotten used to uh, where I stay. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there will definitely be trade-offs, but the trade-offs, they don't matter at all because they are not the non-negotiables. Right. Okay, it sounds like you're very clear about what what are your non-negotiables. So and, and that's why you are actually able to make these decisions without being held hostage by money. Mm. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, you mentioned that contentment is when you no longer crave or desire anything that you do not have. And that is not a passive acceptance of your situation. But how do you actually draw the line between contentment mm. and simply just settling for mediocrity? Yeah, well, there is a second part to this definition. 
Well, which I wrote in the article. So you read only the first part, right? Mm. Uh, and the second part is this. Is, it says in the article, and if you want to read it, if you're listening to this, you want to read it, it can be found on our website, this article. It says this, rather, okay, it is, okay, maybe I should read the first part, right? Which says that contentment is when you no longer crave or desire anything that you do not have, mm. okay? And, that is not a passive acceptance of your situation. That's the first part. The second part is rather, it is an active pursuit of things that are most important to you, knowing that you cannot have everything. It is a conscious choice to enjoy, appreciate, accept what you have while giving up the craving of things that you do not have. So it requires you to know what is most important to you. So that's right. the second part of the definition. Right, so the difference is really posture. Mm. Right, are you accepting passively what life has dished out for you? Mm. In the Singapore dialect, we we call bopian, no choice. Uh, okay lah, you know I get this, no choice as what life has for me, right? Uh, I get fifty marks for my exam, uh, no choice lah. You know that's it lah. Be content. That's that's not contentment, mm. right? Because that is a passive acceptance of what life has given you. Or are you actively pursuing things that are most important to you? The posture is, I am actively, I'm putting in energy, time, resources to go after those things that are really mm. important for me. So I think knowing this difference will decide which line, uh, which side of the line you are, mm. whether you are really on the contentment side or you're just giving excuses and you are actually on the mediocrity side. Right, so the, the difference really lies in the the posture, right? Yeah, the posture and, and your approach towards things. And you, I mean, nobody can judge you. Mm. You know. Okay, but after a while, I guess people who know you will know you're just giving an excuse, right? Every time people say, hey, you know, you have gotten this, you only got this, are you happy? And half the time, you, your excuse is, you know, contented. Uh, just be contented. After all, people know. People know that, no, you're not being contented. You are mm. not working hard at all towards what is important. Right. You're just accepting things as they are. Then you are mediocre, right? But there are some people who know you are very clear. Mm. You are not the lazy kind. You work very hard, mm. right? You tell people that this is your goal and you're accountable to yourself and to other people and you really work hard towards it. I don't think anybody will say that, ah, you're just giving an excuse. Mm. Uh, but people will say, well, Natalie, you are really a contented person because you know what you want and you're happy when you just have those things that are important for you. And it seems like only... Uh, one can only truly appreciate and apply this philosophy of sufficiency when they are able to identify what is most important to them, like the non-negotiables right. you mentioned. Mm. So uh, in your article, you also talk about like in insurance planning, mm. you will need to be clear of how long you need the insurance coverage for and how much insurance coverage you need so you don't over-insure. In uh, terms of long-term investing, mm. you will need to be clear of the amount of money you need to achieve your life goals so you can achieve the investment returns reliably and not just try to maximize returns all the time. So how can one achieve that clarity and also be so sure that what they think is most important to them is really the most important thing to them? Yeah, so how do I decide what are the most important things in life for me? Uh, I use a model that I developed a decade ago and it's called the Finishing Well Circle. Uh, in the Finishing Well Circle, and if you're interested to find out more about the Finishing Well Circle, again, it can be found on a uh, website. Uh, it's an article that I've written or I've wrote 
and it can also be found on the book, uh, The Money Wisdom, right? And in that particular model, I said that our lives, uh, we can divide our lives into five arenas, spiritual, family, professional, social, and community, the five arenas of our lives. And under these arenas, we have roles and responsibilities and at different stages, seasons of lives, different arenas, different roles in those arenas are more important, right? So as an example, uh, at this stage of my life, when my children, they have all grown up, uh, they need lesser of my time, right? Uh, I have a bit more time now. Perhaps besides the professional arena, perhaps the social aspect of my life now can take a more important seat. I've got time to go back and catch up with friends that I've made two, three decades ago. Uh, I couldn't do that when you know, I was still bringing up my children, right? So at, that's what I mean by different stages of life, different arenas. And under these arenas, different roles and responsibility will become, uh, will be more important and some less important. So I think through these things uh, each year and decide on what I want to focus on. And to put the money perspective to it, uh, we then allocate or I then allocate my money to enable those important things, right? So if using the same example, if I think that now I can focus more on the social aspect of my life and under the social aspects, I have got roles, I've got friends, but there are some who are closer friends that I really want to spend more time with, then I can allocate more money to those things. And I'm sure my closer friends who are listening to this right now, they are probably asking me to bring them out to eat because uh, that means I can, because they know I've allocated money to that. Yeah, right? So that's what I mean. I mean, uh, half jazz, but that's what it means when you know very clearly what is it that you want to focus on and you can start to allocate money to that. Now, for Provident at an institutional level, our advisory process uses a different model but the same approach. Okay. So in the very first meeting, which we call discovery meeting, our advisors will actually support our clients to discover what is truly important for them. Right? We ask them questions in these few areas, such as their money values, uh, important relationships, hobbies, interests, their life goals. Uh, some of them, our clients, they have very clear life purpose. Mm. And so the life goals are cascaded from their life purpose. Of course, we ask questions with regard to their money aspect, their asset, liabilities, income, and expenses. And from these questions that we ask and from the conversations we have with our clients, we would be able to support our clients to find out exactly what is the most important thing or what are the most important things in their lives. Mm. Uh, we call them life goals. And I want to clarify. I mean, I've seen different people using life goals and they usually talk about like retirement, children's education, life goals. No, that's not life goals. Those are life events, mm. right? Life goals, they are cascaded down from your purpose, right? your life purpose. So we are, we are trying to find out exactly what make our clients happy. Mm. And then after that, we look at their financial resources. We rearrange their financial resources to support our clients. And not all the time, it is about accumulating more. Sometimes it's about decluttering. Mm. Sometimes it's about, actually, we can tell our clients, you can actually stop work, you know. Actually, you have this and that. Uh, for example, if you sell one house, you are able to cut down some of your expenses, rearrange your affairs, you can actually now live the life that you really want. Yeah, mm. So that's our advisory uh, process. We focus a lot on trying to help clients distill down the 
important things uh, to them. We spend so much time on that. Uh, in fact, I think we spend a lot more time on that than asking the financial question like, when do you want to retire? How, uh, I mean, those things are easy to answer if you know uh, what matters to you most. Thanks for all the tips and handles in terms of how we can all gain clarity to find out what are all the non-negotiables we have in our own life. And also, of course, thank you for sharing um, and answering all these questions that I have regarding your article. No problem. So um, that's all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Chris's BT article titled Achieving Contentment is the Greatest Gain. If you like this episode, do follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar content. As always, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. All analyses, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any use of the information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.